Y'all hear me now? Well, I'm not going to repeat everything that I said. Luke chapter 11. One of the accounts, uh, you can go there if you'd like. I'm not going to spend a lot of any, any time much with that. One of the accounts, as you see with the apostles in Christ, uh, I have taught all of my life, especially from Matthew chapter 6 and others, uh, how, you know, the disciples come together and they've asked Jesus to teach us how to pray. And when I tried to prove that, it's not there. Now, it does say, uh, and I'll have to grant that, it does say, you know, uh, when you pray, say this. So I, I'm going to give. But the, but the point I want to try to make is the disciples asked Jesus, to teach us to pray. You see, we worry too much about, uh, about what we say and how we, we frame that, how we phrase all of that. You know, your prayers are going to be different than mine because each prayer life is, is unique to that individual and the things that are on your mind, uh, you know, are not necessarily the things that are on my mind. There may be some things that together that we share, you know, and think about the same thing, but. But, you know, there may be some needs, you know, and our prayer is different. So the apostles told Jesus, teach us to pray. A very valuable avenue to communicate with God. And, you know, my prayers, you know, we, we hear some, you know, we hear how sophisticated they are. We were at camp, and listen, before I go any farther, I'm not belittling this. And this, uh, maybe somebody from your congregation, we had a prayer request from a child and it said pray for my pet moth mothy that it doesn't die now you know the first reaction you have is how silly is that I'm not fooling with that kind of stuff let me tell you what that prayer for that person was just as serious and meant as much to him as the prayers that we pray from time to time I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 6, and again, I'm sure everybody's been over this. Uh, uh, you know, in beginning in verse 9 through verse 15, it talks about after this manner, therefore pray ye our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men 
their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There are several things that I want us to just notice. And I'm going to hit these really light. And uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure they've already been gone. But there's some things there that's characteristic of prayer and what Jesus would expect for us when we're praying. One of those things is the address of God, the fact that we deify God. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready, you know, that 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We need to put God in a separate place. Not up here with our family. Not up here with our job. Not, not up here with our grandkids. All apart. We set God apart. We think about the church. Matthew 6, verse 33 says what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He talks about daily needs. Yes, Jesus is concerned about your daily needs. Nobody cares what you know and what, how much Bible you know if they're starving to death and you are unwilling to help them. We have a responsibility the basic needs of people. Now that doesn't mean that we lavish them with extra things, luxuries and things, but certainly it means that we need to take care of that. One of the most important things is forgiveness. I'm not going to go into it, but Matthew chapter 18, you know, Peter thought he'd be really good. You know, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often shall I uh, forgive him of those sins? Till seven times, and I understand uh, people that study this said the rabbis would forgive them three times, and that was it. And so maybe Peter's saying, I'll double that, throw in one for good measure. Jesus says, forget it. He didn't actually say that, but he meant it. I'm not talking about a number. We have to have the attitude of forgiveness of our brother uh, anytime he asks. And we don't have a choice if we want to be right. I don't think if the brother asks us to forgive. And then he talks about deliverance, deliver us from evil. You look out there and you look at the world and you think, how in the world am I going to make it through this world? With all the problems and the things that's going on in the political realm and the social realm and the economical realm, how are we going to make it? And we think about the children. My life's almost over, but we think about the children and the grandchildren. What kind of life are they going to have? Deliver us from evil. We need to think about that. We need to resist the devil and he will flee from us. You know, in First Chronicles, if you'll turn back there with me, uh, First Chronicles, chapter uh, chapter four, and verses nine and ten. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, "Because I bear him with sorrow." And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, "Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me." And that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. You know, I did some research one time years ago, and these verses are one of the most popular verses. I've never even heard this much, just reading it. How many times have you heard the sermon on Jabez? I've never heard one. How many times have I preached a sermon on Jabez? This is the first time I've even mentioned the prophet. But I want you to notice about prayer life. We're going to get characteristic of prayer life. He wanted deliverance from sorrow. That's what his name referenced. In bad family situation, he was greater than the others. 
He overcame how his father was and how his family was. Sometimes you know we won't throw up our hand and say we can't help the situation we're in because it's the way our family was. And true enough, they have an influence on us, the family, the way the family raises us. But yet we can get above that. I think about David. And I think about the time when they were going to get a new king uh, to take over Israel and Saul had disappointed and disobeyed, uh, disobeyed God. And so they said, go get Jesse's sons. And they parade all those sons there. And God said, no, not one of them. Not all the boys you got. Again, allow me a little bit of liberty here. Got this little running-nosed kid at the house. He's watching after a few little sheep. Go get him. I bet his daddy never thought he'd mount to anything, especially being king. God knows the heart. You see, prayer can change us. It changes people, and people in the process can change things. Turn a little bit farther into the scripture, to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. Look at through verse 13. Here David's writing. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Notice what David says here. He mentions in verse 3, I acknowledge that. You know, we study Luke chapter 15. We study the story of the prodigal son. One of the greatest verses there in there was the fact, it's just a simple statement, he came to himself. The hardest people to reach are the people that are satisfied with the condition that they're in. Being lukewarm. You can get those hot folks, you can get those cold folks, but the lukewarm, they're happy just where they are. And so that's a very big problem. That's the hardest people to deal with of all. I want you to know, he acknowledged his sin. That prodigal son realized, hey, this is not working. It might have sounded good when I left. Felt good when I left. Free at last when I left. But this freedom was short-lived, and now he's become a slave to his situation I'm going home. We need to come to a, an acknowledgement of our sin. He that confesses in sin, you know, confess your sin before and pray for one another. Again, that's a part of the, what we're talking about here, confession 
and prayer. He said, blot out my iniquities. Blot them out. I don't want you to remember them again. And your sins, God says this, and your iniquities. Will I remember no more? Hebrews 10, verse 17. Think about that. I can't forget them. I guess I could. But the human part of me still wants to bring up the old stuff that I did years ago. God says, in essence, anyway, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. We're hard on ourselves. I want you to blot out my iniquities. I mean, get them out. I don't even want a sign of them. I want to have a clean heart. I want to have a clean heart. I want you to wash me with hyssop. You know, I'm looking around to see if anybody even relate to this. Some of the stuff that I say so old, nobody knows what I'm even talking about. When I was a little boy, and we'd stay with Grandma, Grandma would give us a bath every once in a while. They put us in it. I don't know the numbers of the wash tubs. Mine's probably pretty big. Would be, whatever big. Put us in a wash tub and they'd give us a bath in that wash tub. I hated that. You know why? Because she didn't just wash me. I was clean. And that's where they got the term, I guess, scrubbing behind those ears. My ears were red. When Grandma got through washing my Ears, cleanse me, purge me with hyssop. I want to be a clean person. I want to have a clean heart. You know, it's one thing, and, and again, you go over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, and, you know, and we use this, and rightly so, uh, for baptism, which is important, you know. You know, the like figure, we're into baptism, the fossil now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Christ. Conscience, your heart. Listen, baptism does more than just save me. It forgives me of my sins, and they're gone. And my conscience is clean. And I don't have to worry about what I did yesterday. Prayer. David, according to verse 11, wanted the Holy Spirit to be with him. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8 that if the Spirit is not in you, you are none of His. Okay? You are none of His. So don't think that you're a Christian and you don't have the Spirit of God. And again, I can't tell you everything about that. I don't know a lot about that. In fact, the more I learn through the years, the more, the, I don't know if it's a good line, the dumber I get. I do realize I'm just a worm. And all that thing I pick, I realize everything I learn is five or ten more or thousands more that I don't know. I don't understand all the activities of the Holy Spirit don't claim, claim to. I still want to study it and do the very best I can with it. And let me tell you what, I may not understand a lot of things, but I sure appreciate it. I sure appreciate the Holy Spirit working. And by the way, the Holy Spirit helps us, what? With our prayers. We're talking about knowing how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. And so my wording is not good. But God helps us and the Holy Spirit helps us with that as well. And then he says in verse 13, and I know I'm just not spending very much time on all this, but I want to get to the 
point that I want to make at the very end. Cast me not away from thy presence, tell thy Holy Spirit from And it says in verse 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted. What's David saying in this penitential psalm? Father, if you want me, and he's not saying that, but, but I'm, I'm using it. If you expect me to teach others, you know what I realize? I got to get right. Wrote an article the other day, you know. Us preachers, sometimes we compare ourselves, you know, with other preachers, and boy, I feel so bad when I get around some of these preachers. And I, and I mentioned in the article, you know, and uh, bear with me just a little. I, I don't want to be better than the preacher at Midway. I don't know if I put Midway in it. I don't want to be better than the preacher at Flint or Beltline or Hatton or whatever. They've all got some good preachers. I don't want to be better. But I tell you who I do want to be better than. I want to be better than the guy at Neil. I want to be better than the preacher at Neil. If I can do that, and I signed that article, <laughs> Nikki, the minister of the Neil Church of Christ. You see, if we compare ourselves with others, we have to be better than what we are. We have to think about that. And then that way, when we get our lives in accordance with God's Word, then we'll be able to teach. I believe it's Acts chapter 1, maybe verse 1 or 2, I don't know. Somewhere in that, where it talks about Jesus began to do, what, what was that? And teach. They don't care anything about what I'm teaching. Nobody cares about what I'm teaching if I'm not trying to do that. Then John chapter 17, uh, if you'll turn over there with me. In John chapter 17, in my opinion, probably uh, this chapter to me is probably the second most touching chapter in all the Bible, at least for me. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to read all these. John chapter 17, the most touching chapter to me and the one that has, I guess, as much an effect on me as anybody is Genesis chapter 22. That's where David is offering up his son Isaac or where Abraham's offering up his son Isaac. It's a very touching thing. I think about that. I've got three boys. I've got three boys and a girl. And I think about that sacrifice he was willing to make. But John chapter 17, Jesus is talking to his father. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall? To not only hear that, but to see it. And see the reverence that this person would have for his father when he didn't have any sin to confess. If he needed to spend time talking to God, being sinners, where did that leave me? He mentions a couple of things. Verse 11. And now I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Jesus, in his prayer to his Father, did not say, why don't you join the church of your choice? Why don't you figure out and be like Burger King religion? Why don't you order pickles or hold a mayonnaise on that? Just pick and choose what you want. No. Unity doesn't come from us just all saying, hey, let's just agree to agree and disagree and just have a good time and 
And we welcome you. No, unity will only come through God's word. So Jesus is praying for unity. He wants us to be one. Not just one. But one like he and his father. I know one of my boys was here a few weeks ago. There's a, there's, we got a bunch of them. And sometimes somebody might say to them, you sound like your daddy. Whatever. They can't help it. Okay? So don't hold that against them. Don't hold that against them. Jesus said, many father, we're one. We have the same goal. We have the same idea. And then he talks about in verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What is the truth? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Not just the truth setting you free. Truth's not going to set you free until you know the truth. But set things apart. There is a straight and narrow way, regardless of what people might say about us. There are things that are cut and dried. I realize there's some things we've got to figure out. There are some things that are right and wrong. And the problem we face today is those people who are teaching what's wrong as to being right. And they're overshadowing and trying to what God says. All right, Luke chapter 18. This is where I'll spend uh, probably more of, the, more of the time. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 14 now. Again, let me read this. Beginning in verse 1, he spake a parable unto them to this end that men are always to pray and not to faint. Saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. He would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, This is terrible. Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, wait a minute. Nevertheless, keep your mind on it. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, <coughs> adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself should be abased. He that humbled himself should be exalted. There's a couple of things I want us to notice in Luke chapter 18. First, about this judge. Where the woman come knocking on his door. He's not there, I'm going, nope. She come back again. And she comes back again and again. Don't you think I got something else to do besides answer the door for you? I want you to avenge me of my marriage. Say, go away. Leave me alone. 
She knocks again the next day. And she knocks again. And finally, what does he do? He gets up and avenges her of her adversary. He said, it's not because I believe God. It's not because I'm scared of anybody in public opinion and peer pressure. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of her persistent prayer. And I'm going to answer her request. Now that's bad. But Jesus uses this as an example to show us how good we are. If that happens with him, don't you think God is going to answer the prayers of his children? I didn't know who I was going to be here. Persistence in prayer. I want to mention one other thing before I make another comment. And it bothers me. Look at verse 8 and then we'll go down there to verse 9. Look at the last part of verse 8. What does that mean? Where did that come from? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? What's the message here about the judge? Persistence in prayer. You ever give up? The angels were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham said, you go lots over there. You're going to destroy if there's 50 righteous people? No, I'll keep it. I'll save them. What about 40? 45, I mean. 40, 30, 20, 10. I'm getting embarrassed for listening to Abraham plead with God and just keep trying to make a arrangement with God. Well, 10. Okay, I'll not do it for 10. They couldn't find 10 righteous people in that city. And that city had to be destroyed because of it. I don't know what would have happened if Abraham had said, what about two? Maybe the situation would be, I don't know. But it bothers me in verse 8. When you're talking about the context of persistence in prayer, it seems to me that he indicates, you know, when I come again, is it going to be a situation down here to where people have already given up on prayer? They've quit praying. There's three people that are at least associated with this congregation. Some of them are not here. Every day, and I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, every day I pray for Neil LeMay. Noticed he was on that. Whenever he got cancer, that's how long I've been praying for him. I don't know, 15, 20 years? I don't even know. A long time. Roger Thomas. I don't think Roger's here, is he? He gets prayed for every morning, every day. This dude sitting right here, because he's had his you get prayed for every morning. The time you get, well, you may get up early. But somebody's already prayed for you. I'm not, I say, oh, that preacher just calling out name. He don't really do that, surely. Yes, I do. Why don't I just give up? You want me to give up? Uh-uh. 
You think Neil wants me to give up on fire? Roger? Ever since he's had his accident. I've prayed for people for years and years and years, for some 20 years or more probably. Listen, some of them, most of them are sick. Some of them live. Some of them don't make it. But you know what? I'm always in the frame of mind. Your will be done, not mine. Prayer. It's how we talk to God. Yes, I believe God knows what we need before we pray for it. You like to hear from your kids? I just want to hear their voice, to know they're alive. All it takes was, hello. I can tell about their day, their mood, what's been going on. Just so I hear from you. Don't you think God wants to hear from you? Don't you think prayer is important that God wants to hear from you? It is, I think it's you know, we read in John chapter 4, uh, especially verse 24, but Jesus is there at the, at the well in Samaria, and there he talks to that woman, you know. And they're having a discussion about where y'all worship. Samaritans, they thought, I think it was Mount Gerizim, I believe. Mount Gerizim, that's where we were. You, you say we're supposed here in Jerusalem. Jesus says to her, and I paraphrase this a little bit, he says, you know, there's coming a time, it's not going to be important which mountain you go to, Jerusalem or, or Gerizim or whatever, because God is going to be worshipped in spirit. God must be worshipped, verse 24, in spirit and in truth. We understand about that. We say, you know, we need to have the right attitude, and we do. We need to have the truth. We need to have the right doctrine, the right attitude. That's how we convert people is by doing that demonstrating bubble. It doesn't do any good if you know everything and you can quote the scripture and you can tell people what they need to do and you just hate every moment that's going on. Think about Jonah. And you can just love people to death. Oh, you just do whatever you want to. I love you. You know, the grandparent syndrome. That's not love. So we got to balance that. But you know in Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he talks about singing and he talks about praying. And in verse 15 he makes the, he makes the statement, therefore I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding. Then he says, I will pray with the Spirit. And I will pray with the understanding. Go back down to Luke chapter 18. And you've got these two individuals. One of them's up first. I'm a good guy. Thank you, Lord, for letting me be here. And thank you for being with me. I'm, I'm just so good. And I'm, I, I fast. I, you know, I do this. I do I, I he was telling God how good he was. Now remember, and I'm not going to elaborate on all those things. You can read that there. He was telling God how good he was. And he was so thankful that he was so good. And what was even worse was the fact that he was so thankful that he wasn't like uh, the next guy. I understand the original doesn't say a sinner or the sinner. I don't know that. But I'm 
so thankful that I'm not like him. And I guess he sits down. How would you like to be that guy, the next guy? He gets up in his prayer, wouldn't even look to heaven, smote himself on the breast, and said, Lord, be merciful to me as a sinner. Jesus said that man went down to his house justified. I don't, you know, maybe what does that mean? You know, and the, the initial response to that would be, that man's good, and you know, he's got remission of sins, and the other guy's bad, and there's probably a lot of truth to that. But I don't know what that really means. I'm, I'm afraid it might mean that, you know, that guy that was talking about how good he was, he don't have a clue who he is. He don't have a clue who he is. <laughs> He thinks it. Oh, all these smart folks that think they know more than God. Oh, me. But when that man, and notice his prayer was short and concise and to the point, didn't have any of that flowery speech that I put in mine, or that you put in yours. Lord, be merciful to me. And you know what Jesus said? He went down justified. Now, you can study it. To me, that means... I know who I am. Paul, the great apostle Paul, wrote most of the New Testament of sinners. I'm chief. That's when Paul understood justification. That first man, maybe Jesus is saying, he don't have a clue who he is. He's fooling himself. He's just praying with himself, maybe. But I think the sinner, I think he got it. And I think he understands what life's all about. Until we get to that point in life, hey, fighting a losing battle. You are not God. Once we understand that and the need that we have for God, then we'll be better folks. Persistence in prayer. Do not Give up. Don't you be one of those people in that, what, verse 8. Where's the faith? You say we pray with faith, believing in those things. How, about how much time have I got? This last part I'm bringing to a close, and I, I'm not done yet. Oh, oh, yeah. Some of you have commented. You look a lot better now than you did last time you was here. Thank you. <laughs> I went to the doctor here the other day and, and, and was doing some other things, not about that, but, you know, she said, uh, uh, she said, and besides that, you're looking good. And, oh, I couldn't wait to get home to share that. <laughs> and I was trying to tell everybody how I was looking good, and they let me quickly know that was, that's not synonymous with good looking. So I was told that, you know, don't you get that confused. But I've had a lot, of, I've had some problems over the last year. So September 17th of last year, worst day of my life. I cannot tell you and express to you how bad I hurt. Y'all witnessed some, a little, little some of it. It wasn't at the worst. Then had hematomas. And of course, I've had the hip replacement since then and all that. But I went through some agonizing agonizing times 
for me. I don't, I don't do well with pain. And so I stayed in the hospital for a while. Took me out of the hospital after a week or so, sent me to Encompass, and I strongly recommend that place. It's a good rehab place. But I was hurting so bad. I couldn't move. And I went to Encompass, and they wanted to do rehab on me. And I hated rehab. Now listen, I hope there's not anybody sensitive. You're going to mess this up if you're real sensitive, because I'm going to talk some bad stuff here, but you don't, I don't mean I'm going to use profanity. Back when my mama was old, and she had to go to a place and have rehab. I felt so sorry for those old people, old people that had to go in that room and take a pool noodle and bat balloons. You probably gonna figure out where this is going. I hated rehab. I got a bad leg. Terrible, it's killing me. I just want you to fix my leg. Y'all understand that? I just want you to get this hematoma or what it was. That was I'm doing fine with my surgery and all of that, but I, I'm in terrible pain. I, I can't do anything. Took me in there. <clears throat> One of the first things I had to do was to pick up, I guess it was Legos or something, different colored Legos. Yellow, red, blue, white and put them in a box with a little grabber. You know, put that in the knee. I'm not colorblind. My arms are working good. I, I, I'm picking them up. I, I made a hundred, I think, on that day. I got every one of them right, you know, but, but over there, then, after that, they wanted to, you know, want to play a game of what we used to call concentration, where they put cards on the thing. Y'all know where you turn them over, you match them. Oh, I had to stand up to do that, and I hurting so bad, and you know, the idea of that game, and they reminded me of this after a while, the idea of that game was to leave the cards alone, and you remember, you know, where they are, and you pick up this, oh, I remember it. I scatter in the cards. She said, you know, the object is to, I thought, I'll never, you know, it's going to be a long time. I finally, just by trial and error, finally, cleared that board and I could sit down so happy then one day they wanted uh, to me to hit the floor with a pool noodle I know this is long and I know y'all better get off of it hit it with the pool noodle I wasn't batting balloon but I was hitting the floor over there. I had a little X over there I was hitting the floor you know I was sitting there hitting the floor over here hitting the floor over there with a pool noodle and my leg killing Wanted to play Battleship. I hadn't played Battleship. I don't know. Where they, you know, you punch those, you put those things, you call out numbers or whatever it is, and, and, and when you sink the Battleship, the game's over. I was never so glad to lose in Battleship. <laughs> Next time we played Go Fish, and I beat her. And I know this is not nice, but when I beat her, I eat my dust. <laughs> I went up there and they had a big screen 
And <laughs> I got about two or three more of these. And a big screen, and, and it had numbers and the alphabet on it. And what you do, you go up there. What's nothing wrong with my brain? A1. B2. See, by the time you get to elemental P, even the good folks can't remember what number they got to. They made me do that. I, I guess I uh, brought this on myself. And again, I may embellish this just a hair. <laughs> I made the mistake of telling that girl. And I couldn't, I just didn't want her to come around. I made the mistake of telling that girl I was uh, the world champion cornhole player. Maybe, maybe I said it, maybe I didn't. You know. She made me throw bean bags in a milk crate. Off a porch. I considered myself in my prime a good athlete. I could play ball. I was pretty, I was pretty good. I wasn't anything outstanding like Tyler and that bunch right there. I couldn't play that good. I was pretty good. They wanted to come out there. They, they set me 20 feet away, whatever, 15, 20. I was a good athlete. The girl would throw me a little ball, a little round ball. Throw it right to me, I'll catch it. She wasn't a very good athlete. <laughs> because after about two or three of those, she's throwing the ball up here. She's throwing the ball. Oh boy, I'll show you who's the athlete. Yeah. And then to top it off, and I'm gonna get to the end of the story. I went in there and I watched these women. They had these women folding clothes. I said to myself, I'll never get out of here. <laughs> and, and it dawned on me. They don't care how good I am going fishing. <laughs> They could care less about how many bean bags I could throw in a crate. Or if I remembered those numbers and letters. Or if I could concentrate on They weren't checking my brain out. They weren't checking my eyesight out. They weren't checking any of those things. Yeah, I can catch that ball. I can do that. They wanted me to move. You understand that? Y'all in the medical field understand. It wasn't about all. I couldn't sit down. Until somebody won battleship. I couldn't sit down until somebody finished concentration. I couldn't, I couldn't sit down until all that. But it dawned on me. That, that recessor fired. Dawned on me. That's not why they're doing this. And I wish I could remember that girl's name. But I love her now. Sometimes we just don't understand. You have struggles in life. And we can't figure it out. I probably told you this story, and I'll close with this story. Uh, I probably have told you this story many times I've been here, but, but I act like you hadn't heard it. it was, the story, a parable was told. It, it was a story about a man that lived in a house, and right outside of his house, he had this gigantic boulder. 
And as the story, as the parable goes, God comes down and talks to him. And he says, every day I want you to get up and I want you to go out there and I want you to push that rock. Every day. That man got out and pushed that rock and it didn't move. And he'd go out the next day and he'd push that rock and it didn't move. And he kept doing that for three or four days. And the story says the devil comes out. What are you doing? He's pushing that rock. You hadn't moved that rock a millimeter. You had here every day pushing the rock. And you've accomplished nothing. Why don't you just give up? And so he did. Next day God comes back in the parable. What are you doing? He said, why aren't you pushing the rock? I'm not pushing that rock anymore. Been pushing it every day. Hadn't moved. God says, Oh, my son, I never told you to move the rock. Look at your back. Look at your guns. Look at your, look at your arms. Look how strong you've become. Pushing the rock. You don't have to move the rock. You just have to push the rock. P-U-S-H. That stands for pray until something happens. We may not understand it. We may not have a clear understanding. God has insisted that we be persistent in prayer. Let the outcome be dependent on Him. Thank y'all so much uh, for listening.